one of the only letters that Paul wrote where he didn't have harsh words. He didn't have to use harsh words to correct certain things that were going on inside the church. But if anything, it was a, it was a book that was written to, to encourage and to strengthen, to kind of you know, help refocus the church so they could see you know, um, all the things that, 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 that God, how God wanted them to live and everything. And so we're, we're kind of been looking here. We've kind of gone through the first three chapters of Philippians and Paul talking about pressing on towards the high call of God in Christ Jesus and how, and this is what we were talking about last week in Philippians 3 where he, he says, forgetting what is behind and all the things that I've accomplished and all the great wonders and the things that I've done in my life, forgetting all the good things, forgetting what is behind, I press on ahead towards the high call of God in Christ Jesus and how the call of God is a high call. It's going to call you higher it's going to call you further and into and, and, and greater aspects in the kingdom of God. It's not going to be something that's like he calls you into the kingdom and just lets you kind of just coast the rest of the way. God wants you to be going higher and higher. It's this thing that God, it's the high call of God. All right? And um, it's constantly call us, calling us higher and further. And it's something that we have to press on for. It's not going to come naturally. All right? But it's something that we have to press on, and it won't happen to us just because we wish it will, just because we hope it will. No, now Paul even describes the fact that he has to press on towards the high calling. And so this is what we see here. And as we're looking there, and we've kind of looked at several other chapters in Philippians, we're now going to turn our attention to Philippians chapter 4. And so let's look here together. This is the last chapter of the book of Philippians, and, and he kind of you know, has some closing remarks and some things that he, he's really wanting to drive home to them. And so here it goes. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord. My beloved, I urge uh, Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companionship, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, also with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice always, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to men, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything uh, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report, if there is anything excellent and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. All right. So Paul kind of starts off here, this little closing remark that we kind of find right here. He says, in this way, stand firm. In this way, and he's about to explain to them the way that they're supposed to stand for him. He's about to explain to them the importance of standing for him. What is it that you need to do as a believer? How can you stand firm in your faith? All right, in this way, and after he kind of says that, he kind of, you know, chases a little rabbit here talking about some fellow workers in Christ and saying that, the, you know, encouraging the Philippian church to embrace them and to welcome them and to, and to help them because they've suffered alongside Paul and his missionary journeys and, and the things that have gone on. 
And he says, so he explains this, and he starts right here, in this way stands firm, and he starts in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord sometimes. No, 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 okay, all right, you can't just let me get away with saying something that's wrong, okay, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if I want to, you know, read the scripture, it's got to be right, right? I mean, it, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, all right? Rejoice in the Lord. There are, you know, when, one of the things that we, when we look at, you know, God's work um, and the way God's kingdom works, you see, God's kingdom is, it, it, it works on different operational terms than, say, the kingdom of this world. When we live in the world, and, and we experience the world, and we're dealing with things in the world, there are, there are ways by which this world tries to teach us or indoctrinate us about how to live, how to be successful, uh, and how to find joy, and how to find peace, and all these kinds of things. We find that in the Bible, but then one of the things that we see all throughout Scripture is God, God and Jesus, and who are, when, when they're teaching about, and Jesus oftentimes said, you know, he made a reference to the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, such and such, whatever, when the kingdom of God comes, and he would explain this, and explaining to us how God's kingdom works. Well, as believers, as people of faith, as those who have kind of made professions of faith, we're supposed to operate in the kingdom of God while at the same time living on the earth and understanding, you know, the, the, the things that happen on the earth. And, but we're supposed to, you know, the, the operational rules of the kingdom of God are supposed to supersede the operational world, rules of the way the world works. And we see the difference all throughout Scripture. And I want to highlight some of those things. All right, we see the kingdom, how, how God's kingdom and the, how the rules in the kingdom of God work and how the earthly rules work, all right? One is, say, um, you know, in, in God's kingdom, it says that you need to believe it before you see it, okay? You need to believe before you see. In the, in the world, it says you need to see before you believe, all right? You, you've heard the expression from people, I'll believe it when I see it, okay? Well, God says you have to believe it before you see it, all right? When you talk about faith, faith is the evidence of things not seen, all right? It's, it's the evidence that, that, that God's promises and, and God's kingdom is real and God will come through and the answers to your prayers will come to you even though you don't have tangible evidence that it's happening right here, but you believe and you stand firm. So God tells us that we're supposed to live like that. We're supposed to live at a level where we believe before we see. That's how we live in faith. That's how we operate in faith. That God says to go and do something, and then you say, I believe that I have what it is that God told me I can have before I actually have it. Okay? That's how, that's how the kingdom of God works. You want to operate within the kingdom of God, you got to know how the kingdom of God works. All right? Another rule is um, that um, in the kingdom of God, God, God's word says that humility produces promotion. But in in the natural world, it says that you need to assert yourself for promotion. You need to assert yourself, and you need to make yourself known, and you need to push yourself into place. And God's word says that if you will humble yourself, I will lift you up. I will exalt you. 
Okay. <clears throat> God's kingdom says humility brings about promotion. It brings about increase. It brings about exaltation. All right. Our world says that you need to, you know, you need to be the loudest one. You need to be the strongest. You need to be type A. You need to go. You need to do this. You gotta raise yourself above everybody else, your competition. Another rule in the kingdom of God, it says, um, God's kingdom says that generosity produces prosperity. Generosity. Generosity produces prosperity, whereas in the world it says that savings produces prosperity. You work hard, you accumulate, you save, and that's how you become prosperous. And God's word says that if you give, it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God's word says in Malachi that if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, that he will pour out a blessing that you cannot contain, okay, that you cannot contain, all right? Generosity produces prosperity. That's how the kingdom of God works. The world says otherwise. The world says hold on to what you have, and that's how you have increased, and that's how you become prosperous. Hold on to it. Another rule that we find Another law that we find in the kingdom of God, and this kind of goes along with what Paul was saying right here, is rejoicing produces joy. God's word says that rejoicing produces joy, whereas the world, the earthly kingdom, okay, would say that joy helps you rejoice. That the only reason why you can rejoice is because you have joy. But God's kingdom is different. It's, it's backwards. It's is different than the way the kingdom of this world works. And these are some of the, just a few of the things, and there's obviously many, many different things uh, throughout Scripture that we find, but his world operates uh, differently from the world that we presently live in. God's kingdom operates different than the rules that, that we get accustomed to and adjusted to here on this earth. And all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, we see this command to rejoice, and this command doesn't come with stipulations like, if you feel like it, rejoice. Uh, if you are excited, rejoice. If you have joy, rejoice. No, no, no. Paul says right here, and he puts no stipulation behind what he's saying. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Even in the days when you don't feel like it, even in the days when everything is going against you, even when all the problems are surrounding you, even when a storm is coming over the top of you and destroying you and you feel like everything around you is in chaos, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he'll add a little emphasis, he says, and again, I, I tell you to rejoice. So Paul finds himself here writing to the church of Philippi. He's telling them to rejoice in the Lord, okay? He's telling them to rejoice in the Lord always while he himself is in prison not knowing what his future holds. He is encouraging the church to rejoice, and while he's writing those words, he is in a dungeon, okay, shackled by chains, okay, not knowing whether or not he's going to live or die, whether he's going to be given mercy or he is going to be executed, because that's what they were doing in this day. They were killing the Christians, and he had been arrested now. He was placed in prison, and now he's writing to the Philippian church, and he's telling them to rejoice always. 
Not because Paul wasn't in a position where he couldn't rejoice, because he knew exactly what that was like. You see, it wasn't long ago that Paul experienced his first imprisonment. You know, Paul was in prison several times. Poor guy. He's just loving Jesus, you know, trying to help people out. and He keeps getting thrown in jail and keeps getting flogged and stuff. It wasn't that long ago, just probably a couple years, where Paul was imprisoned the first time. And where was it that he was imprisoned? It was in Macedonia. It was in the city of Philippi. And now he's writing back to the Philippian church in a way reminding them okay, of his own situation. And what happened? Do you, do you remember the story of what happened to Paul when he was imprisoned in Philippi in Macedonia? What, what happened to Paul? What happened to him in that moment in, in this situation? We find it in Acts chapter 16. Verse 22, it said, the crowd rose up together against them, talking about Paul, and, it, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off, uh, off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. Nobody wants to be in this situation. This is, this is probably, be, I mean, this is, this is as bad as it gets without just, like, dying, really. I mean, um, I don't know about you, but I've never been beaten with rods. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I won't. You know, hopefully you won't either. But Paul here, he gets beaten with rods. They take him. They don't just put him in prison. They put him in the inner prison. Apparently, it's like the worst place. It's probably dungy and mildewy and smelly and dark and just not a cool place to be. It's just not at a cool place in his life. You know what I'm saying? It's just not. Things just aren't going his way. And in verse 25, it says, But at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. <laughs> uh, they were praying and singing praise to God at midnight in the dungeon. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison's house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. The story goes on. The jailer sees what's happening, and he's about to kill himself because he knows that, it, that if all the prisoners get away and his boss finds out, they will actually kill him. So he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, you know, really, I mean, in his mind, he's like, I wasn't a prisoner before I came in here. I wasn't a prisoner while I'm in here. And now that these chains are off my feet, I'm still not a prisoner. And instead of running for freedom, he stays and witnesses the love of God to this person right there. And that, that guard, instead of committing suicide, becomes born again. 
he accepts Jesus and his life becomes changed, changed and Paul stays in prison and the next day they end up releasing him. I find it interesting that if Paul wasn't willing to rejoice and praise in the midst of his great trial, he wouldn't have been there for that person. And maybe sometimes the trials that we go through in our life, maybe it's because God is placing people in your life to be an example and to be somebody that you can encourage them and you can strengthen them and possibly even bring them into the kingdom of God. But when our focus is constantly on our situations and our struggles and our difficulties and woe is me, we won't be sitting there at midnight thinking about praising and rejoicing and celebrating God. We'll only be thinking about our misery. And Paul here is telling us that that he's telling the Philippian church, he's reminding them, remember when I was in prison? You remember my difficulty? Remember what happened when my situation And I rejoiced and I praised God anyways. Paul's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. So he's reminding them and us that joy isn't isn't produced by great circumstances in your life. Your ability to have joy is not produced by how much money you have, It's not produced by how good things are in your life. It's produced by your ability to rejoice in the Lord. Joy comes through rejoicing, not the other way around. And the world would say that the only way you can rejoice is if, the only way you can rejoice is if you have joy. And we get things backwards, and that's why we come in the presence of God, and we're like, well, I just don't have joy, so I'm just not going to sing to the Lord this morning. I'm not going to worship Him. Okay, and we miss what it is that God's telling us to do, that the action, okay, precedes the feeling. The feelings will always follow the action. If you will do what it is that God tells you to do, then the other things will follow. And that's where faith comes in. And so he's telling us here, he's, this is very important, and he goes on. Actually, it's, it, um, there was, um, it, it's, his, this attitude that Paul's talking about, it comes from an overwhelming gratitude and indebtedness that we feel towards our Heavenly Father, that even though things are bad around us, okay, God has still done good things for us. His love is still incredible for us. As a, um, there was a, a story about a guy, a, a third century man who was anticipating death. He penned uh, the last words to a friend. He said, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a secret. And they have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world, and these people are the Christians, and I am one of them. He wrote these as his last words on the earth before he was, he was put to death for his faith. You may say, well, what about all my bad stuff, man? What about all this trouble and difficulty that I'm dealing with in my life? What about all this, these problems? I can't, I can't just ignore them. I, just, I can't just act like they don't exist, like I'm just going to walk around like I'm frolicking in daisies and, you know, who cares about all the little problems in my life? Oh, nobody's, this word is not telling you to do that. As a matter of fact, Paul, Paul kind of addresses that, does he not? 
He says later on in the verse, be anxious for nothing but in everything. Some things, but in, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be, known, be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What do you do about your problems? What do you do about these giants and mountains that stand in your way, these, these dark clouds that hover over the top of you? What do you do about it? Paul tells us that we're supposed to rejoice in the midst of us, and then he gives us what we're supposed to do. In everything, in all of your trial, in all of your difficulty, in all of the things that loom large in your life, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You know, it's much easier to pray with gratitude because it says right here that we're supposed to pray, our prayer and supplication is supposed to be accompanied with thanksgiving. It's much easier to pray with gratitude when you have an attitude of rejoicing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's much easier to be grateful for when you're rejoicing. I mean, if you're kind of down in despair and woe is me and things, okay, it's hard to be grateful in that moment. But Paul, the first thing he tells us to do is to start rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always, that we are supposed to rejoice. And you know what? When we start rejoicing and we start celebrating the little victories and the little things in our life and, and, and the little things that God has done, all of a sudden it creates a sense of gratitude deep inside of us. And now when we go before God, we're like this, this miserable person, like, oh, God, woe is me, and look at all of my struggle and pain. And no, we can go before God with an attitude of thanksgiving, like, God, you're so good. Good, and you're so gracious and you've been so good to me. You know, you've been so faithful to me in the past and the things that I've gone through and, and, and you've been faithful to answer prayer and you've been faithful to provide for my needs. You've been faithful and good and all of a sudden now you have this attitude of thanksgiving and it's this, you know, incredible aroma that goes up before the Lord that's pleasing to him as you begin to present your request and God's like, yes, let's do it. You see, rejoicing tells your mind to choose joy. And then when you pray and you come before him with this attitude of gratefulness to him for the things that, 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 that he's done and the things that you need him to come through on, it, it, it changes your attitude. And this is how we're able to walk in the peace even in the midst of turmoil. Because Paul says, what happens? What is it that happens when you come before the Lord with prayer, with thanksgiving, and you present your request? What did he say would happen? The peace of God which surpasses all your ability to comprehend. It doesn't make sense. Why do I have peace in the midst of this great trial? And then the people in the world begin to look at you and they see the circumstances that you're going through and they're like, how can you have so much peace in your life? How can you have joy in your life? Look at all these problems around you. What is so different about you? You say, well, I, I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice anyways. And I, I present my request to the Lord and he's faithful and he's good to me. And it just gives me a peace that I know that at the end of the day, it's all going to be okay. 
See, it changes us. It does this. This is how we're able to walk in peace. And so you rejoice. You, we rejoice. Paul says rejoice. Then he says to pray. He says we're supposed to pray. You know, one of the things about prayer, um, you know, you got to understand how prayer works, but I think it's really important. I want to, um, I want to I highlight. I want to just mention this real quick. Um, it's really important that you you vocalize your prayer. Okay, sometimes we're like, "Well, Jesus knows what we need before we even ask." Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. All right. However, the Scripture also says that you have not because you ask not. And sometimes we just assume that God knows our problems and knows our struggles and knows what we need but we never really ask him. We never really pray. Okay? Well, you know, God, God is looking for you to invite him into your life. He is, he is waiting for you. Sometimes, listen, he is waiting for you to invite him to participate in your life. And just because he may know the struggle that you're going through and he may empathize with that thing, and yes, I believe that he wants to help you, he also says that we're supposed to petition. And we're supposed to, according to you know, Philippians, Paul says, present your request to God. Scripture says, you know, if you seek, you will find. If you ask, the door, you know, knock, the door will be open. Okay, and then you have not because you asked not. We see this all throughout Scripture. Sometimes it's just, you vocalizing what it is, what it is that you want God to do. And then sometimes even beyond that point, we don't even really know what we want God to do. Like I know God, I want God to help me in my life, but I don't even really, what does that look like to you? What does it look like? You want God to do something in your life, that's great. God's like, oh, yeah, just do something. Just do, just do something and that's it, just something. And how do you know that he's done something for you if you don't specifically ask, I, I remember um, there's a book that's a really, really good book uh, by Mark uh, Batterson called The Circle Maker. And, uh, and it's a story where he, he talks about uh, prayer, really, and, and, and praying specifically, you know. And so he shares several different stories in his own life. And one of the, one of the interesting stories I find is a story by, about Dr. Dr. Young Guy Cho, who was uh, was at one time the pastor of the largest church in the world in Seo, Korea. Um, just they literally, if you went to church there, you would have like a card that told you uh, what week you could actually come to church because they couldn't fit everybody in the church, so you were only allowed to come like once a month, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it was you know, an incredible move of God that they had going on and, and still is going on. He's just not the pastor there anymore. But one of the stories about him when he was early on, when he was when he was first getting into ministry and first starting the church, is that he was uh, he um, he had no way to, he had no transportation, and um, and he kept praying for God for transportation. Like God, give me something to so that I can ride and 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 go door to door and talk to people. Give me something so I don't have to keep walking everywhere I go. And he just kept praying, and God never answered his prayer. And finally, one day, he said he felt God say, well, what do you want? And he's like, well, I just want something so I can go. And he's like, no, 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 what do you want? Like, what do you want? And he's like, okay, I, I want a 10-speed bicycle that's like this, and I'd like it to be this color. He said, so 
He prayed specifically, and within a week, God gave him a bike. So he could ride a bike around and talk door to door. That had gone months praying for transportation. And God didn't, and that's what I'm saying. Sometimes it's defining what it is that you want, what it is that you need in your life. What, what do you want God to do? All right? He's going to say, God, just do something in me. All right? Maybe you need to define what that looks like so when it happens, you know it's God, right? I mean, if you play, pray for a 10-speed uh, a bike that's blue and got, you know, uh, uh, you know, a red seat and green handlebars, listen, when you get a 10-speed bike that's blue and got a red seat and blue handlebar, you're going to be like, that's God, right? Because nobody knows that but God, <laughs> you know? And you're going to be like, hello, um, so, so Paul says to rejoice and to pray, and then what? Then what does he tell us to do? He tells us to think, okay? Think about the right things, all right? Our problem is not that we don't think. Our problem is that we think about the wrong things, all right? We, 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 nobody has a problem thinking, all right, now some of us may have a problem talking, you know, we're just kind of quiet dudes and stuff, but every single one of us, and we don't have a problem thinking. I mean, I, they say you know, thousands of thoughts run through your brain every day, okay? You're thinking about stuff all the time. Our problem is not thinking. Our problem oftentimes is thinking about the right things. And so Paul addresses this. He's, he's dealing with this. Uh, we allow speculations and perceptions about certain things to take our minds into some really bad places. Look, I know how it is, man. Look, I, I, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I, you know, I don't have that struggle too. I, everybody does. We all do. Where your just mind will run and it will take you to some places like, where did that come from? How did I even start thinking about this? And we, we create the, and these, these, and then what happens is, is we, some of these thoughts sound true and real, and then we dwell on those thoughts, and we sit on those thoughts, and it, and it just changes us. It changes everything about us, and then we become suspicious of people, and then we, we, we start questioning everything, and it's all because we allowed the wrong things to dwell inside of our minds. And so he says right here, um, you know, be, um, you see, I, I believe that, um, the beginning of anxiety is in the mind. You, you, you're not going to become anxious in your life unless you've allowed those thoughts to dwell inside your mind to create that anxiety. The beginning of depression is in the mind. It's you, know, you dwelling on thoughts that, that continually push that, that idea, that, that thought, or those feelings in your life. All of that begins right there. And we allow ourselves to go to those places and to dwell there. And so Paul, he clearly defines to us what we're supposed to be thinking about. All right? And he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, of good report, if there is anything excellent and if anything worthy of praise, Dwell on these things, okay? He, he tells you everything that you're supposed to be thinking about. Now, I think when, when you read this one, anything that is true, you know, sometimes things can be true and they, they're not lovely. And I think really what Paul here is referring to, anything is true, is like anything that is the truth of God. 
Because right, you, can, you can think about things that are true and not really a good report. They're not like worthy of praise. They're not going to be pure. All right? I think Paul here is referring to what is the truth, the truth of God's word. There may be something that is a fact, but it's not the truth. So here it is. It tells us what to think about. True, honorable, what is right, whatever is pure, lovely, whatever is a good report. If there is anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So Paul tells us here to rejoice, pray, and dwell on these things. Um, rejoice, pray, and dwell on these things. Uh, one of the things that as, as I was kind of reading through this and preparing, I, I'd really never seen this before, but Paul here really does an incredible job of outlining how faith looks. How does faith look? Um, you know, Scripture says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You cannot please God in your life without faith. You cannot do it. But what does faith look like? Well, the Bible says, Hebrews says, that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Okay? Faith is substance. Right? What does that substance look like? What, is, what does that substance look like? So it's, it's, not just, it's not just kind of like a belief, okay? It's not a belief. That's not what faith is. Faith, the Bible says that faith is tangible. It's substance. It's something that, that, is, that can actually be grabbed hold of, all right? It's not just like, well, I believe, and that's what faith is. No, 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 that's not what faith is, all right? Um, that's just you believing, okay? Faith is much more than that. It, it, it's belief in, in this, the, this thing that you hope for. And our hope is always what our hope is. Our hope is a positive expectation of a future of our future. So for you to have hope in your life, you have to have a positive expectation of your future. That's what hope is. Anybody that is hopeless is somebody that has lost the ability to think positively about their future. All right. So, but faith, okay, is what drives us into that hope. If you, don't, if you have a positive expectation of your future, but you don't do what faith does, then you'll never reach that expectation of your future. It's just like people who say, you know, I hope that I have a great marriage. But then you want to, like, get mad at each other and call each other names and throw stuff and, and you know, isolate yourself and cold shoulder and not talk and, and, and whatever. Okay, now you are doing the exact opposite of what faith would be doing. And it's no surprise you don't reach your hope because faith says to do it this way and you're doing it the wrong way. Okay, faith tells us to do something a certain way, okay, so that we can reach that positive expectation of the future. If you want to start a business and you want it to grow and succeed, but you don't want to work hard, okay, your faith doesn't match up with your hope. Faith is substance of hope, of, which, of the things you hope for and the evidence of things not seen. It is substance and evidence. It's something that is tangible, that is the in-between that helps us get to what it is that we hope for, all right? I think Paul does an incredible job here in these couple verses defining to us what faith looks like. Rob, if you'll come. 
I think it's, I think it's incredible. Uh, and we look at it from here. Rejoice, pray, dwell on these things. Okay? Rejoice, pray, dwell on these things. This is what I think faith can be defined right here. That if you want to know what faith looks like uh, in your life, if you want to know what faith looks like in your, in your spiritual walk with God, this is it. You see, our position should always start from a position of worship. Our position should always start from a position of rejoicing. We rejoice. Why? Because God is good. Because he loves you. Because he loves me. Because he has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Because he has set us free. God is a good God. And it gives us reason to rejoice. It always starts. You see, faith will start from a position of worship and rejoicing. It always starts there. It's a position of looking to God looking at him, seeing how great and how marvelous and how awesome he is. That's where faith starts. It's, it always starts in that position. Then we pray and petition the Lord for what we need. We pray. We vocalize what it is. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, and he said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, right, the faith of a mustard seed, just this little bitty seed. You have faith that big. He said, you could say to that mountain, be thou cast into the sea. And if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say, it shall be done for you. Now, Jesus here mentioned the word saying two times more than believing. If you say to that mountain, be thou cast in the sea, and do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say, all right, it's, it's about what you say with your mouth, what you say. You have to petition the Lord, and you have to say it with your mouth. You have to vocalize it. You have to speak it out. Jesus said that if you want to if you want to cast the mountain into the sea, if you want to remove the mountain in your life, you're going to have to talk to that mountain. You're going to have to believe that God can do it, but you're going to have to talk. And you see, that's where it gets dicey for us, right? Because, I mean, it's like, hey, I would much rather just believe and not say because if I say, it kind of puts me out there. Does it not? If I, you know what I'm saying? If we're all standing around and I'm like, I'm just going to believe that God's going to believe but if I say, mountain, be gone, everybody's going to be like, you're kind of crazy, right? Because you just, you just stepped out there. But that's what faith does. Faith steps out there. That's the reason why it's so important to vocalize it, to say it. Because... It, 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 it shows that you are truly convicted about what it is that you're saying. You're, you're the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You're going to say it with your mouth. It's, it's something that's secure down in the heart. We pray. We petition the Lord for what we need. And then we not let the negative circumstances change the way we think about God's faithfulness to answering our prayers. Okay? So we, we rejoice. We worship. 
then we say it out of our mouth, we pray it, we speak it, then we don't allow the enemy to change the way we think, okay, because we're thinking about the right things. Because Paul says, think on these things, whatsoever things are lovely, good report, worthy of praise. Come on, God's faithfulness is lovely and it is worthy of praise. His ability to answer prayers is lovely and it's worthy of praise. His ability to overcome any obstacle in your life, to heal any disease is lovely and it is worthy of praise. And so Paul says, dwell on these things. Don't dwell on all the other things Okay, all the circumstances, like, oh my gosh, it's just so bad, and look at this, but this, it has it's gotten worse, oh my gosh, and we wring our hands, and now we're dwelling on the wrong thing, and, and it's counteracting our faith, because faith works like that. That's how faith works. We worship, we pray, and we dwell, we think, we make sure our mind is in the right place, and we not allow the negative circumstances to, I, I tell you one of the things that I learned in my life, and I, 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 I should, I, in, 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 in honesty, I should practice it more. I mean, I just really should, and I, that's shame on me, okay, shame on me. But I remember as God was teaching me in, in my early ministry years about faith and uh, how it worked. And I remember a simple example that, that happened in my life. Um, that really kind of drew it home for me. Um, I remember when I was a youth pastor several years ago, I remember when um, it was a Wednesday and I started getting a ma- major headache. I just, it just hurt really bad. And I was just under, starting to understand some things that God was teaching me about faith. And, and, and so, you know, I prayed about it, but nothing changed. I prayed, God, you know, remove the headache. I, I don't need this headache. We got service tonight, and nothing changed. The headache didn't go away. So what I started doing is recognizing what God was teaching me is the headache was still there, but my mind was focused on the fact that God was my healer. So what I started doing is I just started thanking God for healing me. Even though I wasn't healed yet, I just started, th- I started, thank you, thank you, God. And every time that headache would like throb or something, be like, thank you, God, that you've healed me of this headache. I just thank you, God. I thank you, God, that you're my healer and you've healed me of this headache. And I just kept thanking him and thanking him. And one of the things that happened before I knew it, once I began doing that and not allowing my mind to go like, oh, well, you didn't get healed because you still got the headache not allowing my mind to go towards my circumstances. I allowed my mind to stay focused on God's promise and God's ability. Within, within minutes, I recognized that the I never, I don't know when it actually left me. I just remember at one point thinking, I don't have a headache anymore. That was just cool, right? And that wasn't, it wasn't Advil. It was, it was just God. Like I said, that's that staying focused on what it is. And Paul gives us this perfect example of this in the scripture. Um, you don't ever, you don't want to let the enemy, enemy in your mind to re- redirect your focus on things other than what you're supposed to be thinking about. And so what we do is we wash, rinse, repeat. We rejoice, we pray, we th- dwell on these things. 
and we continue rejoicing and we continue praying and we continue dwelling on these things and we just wash, rinse, repeat, rejoice, pray, dwell on these things over and over again. And that's what faith looks like actively in our life. That's what faith looks like actively in our life. And Paul just, he just breaks it open to us right here in the book of Philippians and explains it in detail how to walk by faith. So what are you dealing with in your life right now? Are you, are you coming from a position of joy and rejoicing? Are you declaring your needs before your heavenly Father? And are you thinking about the right things? Is there a breakdown in this process? Because listen, if one of those things breaks down, it probably ruins the whole thing. It just derails the whole train. All of them are important. We rejoice, we pray, we think on these things. Will you stand to your feet today?